What's up, folks? Welcome back to the Whoop Podcast, where we sit down with top athletes, scientists, experts, and more to learn what the best in the world are doing to perform at their peak and what you can do to unlock your own best performance. I'm your host, Will Ahmed, founder and CEO of Whoop, and we are on a mission to unlock human performance. This week, we're excited to welcome Dr. Mita Singh for an episode on the science of sleep. This is the first of a three-episode series, which also includes the science of recovery and the science of strain, which are coming soon over the coming weeks. The science of series is meant to simplify the science behind these concepts, answer common questions, and debunk myths. Okay, back to the talented Dr. Singh, a board-certified physician and psychiatrist with deep expertise in sleep, sleep disorder diagnosis, and treatment. So she's worked as a consultant for multiple NFL, MLB, NHL, NBA, Olympic, and college sports teams, as well as for large organizations. The Washington Nationals considered her so vital to their championship in 2019 that they actually gave Mita a World Series ring. So Dr. Singh sits down with our VP of Performance, Kristen Holmes, to discuss the science behind sleep and what it does for your body, your mind, and your cognitive function. They cover how sleep plays an important role in decision-making and learning, the relationship between metabolic health and sleep consistency, and everything you need to know about sleep debt and how to manage it. As a reminder, you can use the code WILL, that's W-I-L-L, to get 15% off a WHOOP membership. WHOOP membership includes hardware and software and analytics designed to help you improve your health. And of course, it now includes the new WHOOP 4.0. So check that out at whoop.com. Without further ado, here is Dr. Singh. Dr. Mita Singh is a board-certified physician and psychiatrist concentrated in the applied science of sleep. Her evidence-based approach integrates individualized medical, psychiatric, and behavioral diagnosis and coaching to improve clients' sleep health to optimize physical and mental performance and enhance health and quality of life. Dr. Singh's deep experience in sleep disorder diagnosis and treatment was forged in psychiatry at the Mayo Clinic and as a physician in sleep medicine at the Henry Ford Sleep Center, where Dr. Singh practiced and served as chief of service for 15 years. We truly admire the work Dr. Singh does to provide evidence-based guidance to help folks get the sleep that they need so they can perform to their potential. Dr. Singh, welcome. Thank you, Kristen, and thank you for that very kind introduction. Well, your work is just insanely inspiring. (laughs) So fun facts, Dr. Singh has a World Series championship ring from her work with the Washington Nationals. Mita, that must have been an amazing journey. That was an amazing journey. Thank you so much. And I have to tell you, like the, the the most interesting part of that was great teams they always want to do better. They're always they're there, and then they're competing against other people who are there. So they they're looking for that small edge, anything right. that'll make them do better, and right. they listen. And that's that's you know when you're it's it's like a ball that gets rolling, or actually a snow snowball. You know when it's yeah. coming down the hill, it becomes yeah. larger and larger. And as the season progresses, especially the postseason, as they get better and better at what they do, you know they they really want to like become tighter and tighter with 
um, all the things that they want to optimize. And sleep is so important. I love it. Yeah. I mean, you make a great point. I mean, when you, when you look at that kind of top tier, you know, the genetics and the skills and expertise, I mean, it's all basically the same, right? The coaching, like yes. everyone is tremendous, right? The difference yes. makers truly in the performance lifestyle, you know, yes. and, and obviously a huge piece of performance lifestyle is kind of our choices around sleep. So I love that. Um, so to kick us off here, um, Dr. Singh, can you explain to me why human beings are the only species that deliberately deprive themselves of sleep for no apparent reason? <laughs> I would say that in the wild, animals, if they were in danger or if they were, you know, if um, they were in desperate conditions, they probably would not sleep because they have to be hyper aware and they have to be, um, you know, they have to be on guard. But for some reason, we as human beings, we, we do this on a regular basis and we're not in danger. But I, I think what's, ha what's happened is that we live in this 24-hour society, right? It's 24-7. We're always on. And especially... Um, in the culture that we live in, in which Kristen, we're, we're always trying to achieve more. We're trying to make sure um, it's like we live in a hustle culture. Oftentimes we feel that the number of hours that we can put in, the, the greater the number, the better it is. And, I, and, and when we talk further, we should, we should talk about this more because that's not true, right? Because it's, there's a difference between smart work and working hard, you know, and smart work means you, you want to, whenever you show up for whatever work you do, uh, smart, you know, good, effective, smart work is a function of a well-rested brain. And we often forget that there's, you know, there's that, that's one thing. And the second thing also is for the longest sleep was considered to be optional. It was considered to be something that I'll, I'll sleep when I'm dead that culture was around and that's slowly changing. So people still have that. That's, and, and the third thing I would say is that um, there's also this, you know, when it comes to sleep, um, especially when it comes in, in work organization, you know, in organ, large organizations, leadership really can change the culture about when it comes to rest and sleep. So yeah. if, if the leader is sending out emails at three in the morning, well, you know, that means that they're not getting enough sleep. And if you want to do well, you realize that, well, you know, if they're sending out an email, even if you, even if the leader expects the email back, a response back at six in the morning, if you're a worker who wants to show that you're committed to the company, you send an email back at the same time. We'll talk a little bit more about sleep and learning and memory. So kind of dig into that. And, and I'd love to talk to you about presenteeism and chronobiology uh -huh. so we can kind of dig into workplace a little bit. But before we do that, um, and we'll also talk about the various systems in the body and, and kind of what's happening when we're operating a short sleep. But first, I think in order to fully appreciate the strength of a full night's sleep, um, we kind of need to understand what is actually occurring in our brains from the moment we fall asleep to the moment we wake up. So I'd love for you to kind of talk us through what is happening during this incredible journey uh, we call sleep and, and perhaps a bit about why it matters. So let's start out with uh, what sleep is. So sleep is a normal uh, behavior. It's a normal physio physiological behavior that occurs every 24 hours. And it's disengagement 
from the environment as well as unresponsiveness from the environment to the environment right so um and and as far as we know you know all organisms at every level show some sort of rest activity cycle so it's the rest part and while while we as human beings while we are asleep because our brains and our bodies are forced into inactivity rest and recovery tends to occur during that time and when people when you know people will, when you ask them what sleep is they said it's it's restful it's when you you know you turn your mind off etc and although people look very passive while they're asleep your brain is very active and and so there is there are different neurochemicals being secreted and as the neurochemicals are being secreted there are different brain waves that are being formed and it's like a, it's like a concert and the brain goes through different stages of sleep and each sleep stage of sleep is is important and serves as as a different function and so um you know in the brain because there's inactivity it's it's like hitting a a reset button that happens at night and that prepares you for the next day now sleep scientists you know much to our chagrin um there we don't really know what the overall function of sleep is we know it's really important right you spend a third of your or you should be spending a third of your life sleeping so unless it serves something absolutely essential it would be a complete colossal wasted of time like why would you be doing that you're you know you're <laughs> while you're asleep you're you know you're vulnerable you're not you know you're not doing anything useful so we definitely know it's very useful and um you know recently in the last few years there's been research that shows that while you're asleep uh, blood sort of rushes through your brain and it's your brain gets power washed of all the toxins that have been accumulated during the day and so that might be a very fundamental thing that happens during this sleep and so that prepares you for the next day maybe if we can focus on just one aspect we got a uh, a good uh question from one of our listeners wondering about uh REM sleep and and what exactly is happening during during REM and sleep sleep and you know should they be concerned about the uh percentage of time they're spending in each one is there an ideal time is the body driving it what what are your thoughts on that wonderful so so let's perhaps let's give a broad overview of what all the sleep stages are so like i said you know different neurochemicals are being secreted and your brain waves look different so typically sleep or the state of human you know that human beings are can be divided into three parts you're either awake or you're in dream sleep or rem rapid eye movement sleep or you're in non dream sleep now non dream sleep is divided into three stages going from the lighter to the deeper stages of sleep light sleep is n1 then n2 which is slightly deeper n3 is deep sleep and uh, you know when you're falling asleep you fall into sleep through light sleep then then go into deeper stages of sleep and during light sleep uh, you know your breathing slows down your heart rate goes down your blood pressure falls and during your deep sleep which is an n3 or delta sleep is where most of the restoration tends to occur deep sleep is really really important because it's important for um uh, memory it's important it's where you know your muscles are completely relaxed you know you're storing uh, you know glucose 
And that's when muscle recovery is typically hap- is happening. And, um, and then during dream sleep, dream sleep tends to occur in the second half of the night. And dreams, during dream sleep, uh, learning and mem- it's important for learning and memory, but it's also important because it adds emotional context to our memory. Mm. So, it, so every stage of sleep has a certain function. You know, it's not as if light sleep is less important than deep sleep is less important than dream sleep. And typically, you know, light sleep is pretty important. We spend about fifty percent of the uh, of our sleep period in light sleep, and there are certain yeah, brain light waves. Light sleep gets in- a bad rap. But light yeah, sleep it does get a bad Yes, and then you know, and then deep REM sleep is approximately twenty five percent of your total sleep time period. Okay. And I would tell people two more things. I want to tell them. So first of all, most of your deep sleep occurs in the first half of your night. So mm-hmm. if you fall asleep, you know, deep sleep will occur in the first half of the night. Dream sleep tends to occur in the second half of the night because dream sleep is driven by your circadian rhythms. Mm-hmm. That's that's one thing. That were, and the other thing is that, that we progress through night in different stages of sleep. So you go through light sleep, deep sleep, dream sleep, and then your sleep lightens and you may actually wake up. And that's a, that's, is a sleep cycle and it's approximately 90 minutes. And you cycle through these different, uh, you know, you do um, this, d- different stages all through the night. Okay. So the other thing that I think comes up a lot and there's perhaps a lot of misinformation around is whether or not we can catch up on sleep that we've missed, right? Oh, so we all have like a base sleep need. Mm-hmm. So maybe, you know, talk about kind of what that might look like for folks in terms of how much time they need to be spending in bed. Um, and then if they're not getting the sleep that they need um, and they're accumulating sleep debt, you know, what is actually happening there? And can they, can they kind of catch up on, on, last, on lost sleep? You know, when we are thinking about sleep, a good way to look, to think about sleep is to think about the quantity of sleep, the quality, and the timing of sleep. So mm-hmm. let's first talk about the quantity of sleep, which is what you were saying is sleep need, right? So, of course, you know, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine says for adults, you know, adults need about seven to nine hours of sleep to function well and optimally the next day. Definitely, if you get less than six hours of sleep, you're going to see deficits in your performance. Mm-hmm. Um, it also changes with age. So young, you know, kids need more sleep. You know, um, babies need a lot of sleep. And as you get older, you, your sleep requirement slowly reduces. Adolescents still need about nine hours of sleep. Younger de- adults tend to need more sleep than older adults. Now, there is there is human, uh, you know, there is variability. So, you know, my sleep requirement may not be yours. But, you know, think about what sleep need is. So sleep need is the amount of sleep you need to be alert and awake in quiet, dull, boring situations the next <laughs> next day, right? So normally when you're, say, sitting down and you're, you know, if you're doing something on your computer or if you're, um, you know, listening to this podcast or, you know, watching a, t- a TV, even if the situation is boring and you're, you're sitting, you know, you should be able to keep yourself awake. Right. right. And so, so... Adults shouldn't really feel sleepy during the day if they're meeting their sleep need. Well... It's not as simple as that. Most times, when people are meet their sleep need, they shouldn't. They should be alert. Uh, they should be alert 
the next day. But alertness varies in a 24-hour cycle depending right. on your circadian rhythm. So we'll right. come back to that. So it's yep. not, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're meeting your sleep need and if you're well-rested at night, when you wake up in the morning, you know, you should, once you get going, you should feel, you should be alert. In the mid-afternoon, there should be an, a normal, um, uh, you know, dip in your alertness and then you should become alert again. And in the evening, you kind of sort of catch a second wind before your bedtime. That's how alertness varies during the day. That's the definition of what your sleep need is. And I, I tell people, you know, um, one way to think whether you're meeting your sleep need is if you're able to, if you feel, um, you know, well rested the, the, during the day, or if you think that you can get by in your day without having to caffeine up, now, mm-hmm. that, would, that would mean that you're you're well rested. Yeah, that that's a now, good uh, kind of a good right. marker. Now, you know, most people have some amount of sleep debt that's going on. So most people, because of you know all the things we discussed earlier, are not getting enough sleep on a regular basis. And if you get less sleep on a regular basis, sleep debt, which uh, tends to accumulate over time, that's the definition of sleep debt. And the best way to play to recover from that is to play catch up is to make sure that whenever you get a chance you want to you want to sleep in one way to make sure that you're getting enough sleep is to monitor how much sleep you're getting on a regular basis so if during your work week if you get um, um, you know a certain number of hours of sleep but then on your on the weekend or your days off you sleep longer as compared to what you're getting habitually during your work week, that is an indication that you're playing, trying to play catch up. And that means yeah. you were not meeting your sleep need when you were on, on a regular basis. So that would be a right. good indication to make sure right. that, you're, um, that you're not getting enough sleep. So in an ideal scenario, we're you know, going to bed and waking up at a very similar time and we're you know, consistently meeting our, our sleep need. But of course, life happens. So yes. you're suggesting to just extend our sleep when we have the opportunities to in order to kind of catch up. I, I tell people, even small increments help. So you know, if, you, if on a regular basis you're getting six hours of sleep, well, perhaps go to bed 15, 20 minutes earlier. Just do mm-hmm. that for a little while. Because that'll right. mean a little bit more sleep, and then you know yeah. once you once you're able to do that, maybe perhaps go to bed another twenty minutes earlier, or yeah. try and stay in bed a little bit longer, and that itself will help um, uh, without without trying to make sure that it's it's all on the weekend or on your days off. Right, right. And I, you know, personally, obviously, I just listen to Whoop. You know, so and Whoop does all the work for me, um, and I'm super alert when I need to be alert. I'm sleepy when I need to be sleepy. So I definitely take advantage, obviously, of the technology. So, when, um, so let me yeah. let me let me just intervene. That I, I, I mean, and that I think is a great way to use Whoop. Yeah. So we live in this society where we really want to measure quite a bit, mm-hmm. right? And I would say looking at how much REM sleep you've had or deep sleep you've had. Not sure how useful that is because, mm-hmm. well, what are you going to do with that information anyways? Like if it tells you, have, um, you know, you have less REM sleep or less deep sleep. But, but since stages of sleep are a percentage of the total sleep time, that is really useful information. Definitely. So if you wore a device and you looked back at the last two weeks and you say, well, you know, every Tuesday night for some reason I go to 
get really less sleep and then you know yeah. I'm all through the week I'm getting less sleep and then you know here's comes Saturday I'm, you know I sleep in etc that's the kind of information that's really useful because now you can look yeah. at trends you can relate that to the behavior that you've been doing during the day and then you can take you know you can take insight from that and make behavioral change that yeah. you know then it becomes a very useful tool Yep, definitely. We um we did a really interesting study with about a hundred CEOs, and mm-hmm. we looked at you know all sorts of parameters, but we we're looking at sleep and heart rate variability um, in relationship to executive functioning. Mm-hmm. And you know one of the kind of happy findings in the study is that we were able to see that uh, a relationship between sleep debt, which is basically what Whoop says you need, versus what you actually got, that mm-hmm. delta, actually. Yeah correlated to um, next day executive functioning and working me- uh, memory measured via Stroop and MBAC. So it kind of indirectly validated whoop sleep yeah. needs. So it's not just a random number generator. It's actually, if you kind of listen to it, and obviously we're considering circadian factors, like, you know, there's a lot that kind of goes into the recommended uh, recommendation of sleep need, and it's based on a lot of a lot of physiology and science. Um, but it was really cool to kind of see in that study, you know, a relationship. And basically, you know, what we saw for every 45 minutes of sleep debt you accumulated, there was a, a the 10% decrease in executive mm-hmm. functioning and working memory next day. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these CEOs, Mita, and you work with these folks, yeah. right? I mean, they have significant sleep debt. I mean, we're talking for some folks, it's like they're, they're missing their sleep need by three hours. So yeah. that's like almost 30% decline in executive functioning, working memory. And we, we saw this, you know, and, and so I thought... Yeah, that is crazy. Yeah. You know, just meeting so that sleep. I want to yeah, I I pick on one a couple of things that you just said. So okay. something really important. Sleep, the effect on performance the next day, any deficits in your physiology the next day occur in a dose-dependent fashion, which means mm-hmm. getting five hours, hours of sleep is worse than six hours, worse than seven hours. Does that make right. sense? So, yeah, totally. so which, is yeah. what, which is what you're saying. For every you know, 30 minute increments, the less sleep you get, the worse right. it gets. And that's really, really important to understand. I mean, that's been shown yeah. in many studies. You know, you look at reaction yeah. time, you yeah. look at um, you know, you look at accuracy. It's always, you know, the less sleep you get, the worse it is. And and the second thing is uh, those deficits accumulate. So the if you continue to get less sleep it's going to get worse. So that's number one. Yeah. The second thing is, I think I think this is also a great time to discuss, you know, what executive functioning is and the yeah. components and how, how, you know, sleep affects it. So think about all the aspects of, of executive functioning. So the, you know, one of, you know, making high level decisions, mm. uh, flexibility, which is the ability to change um, you know, in the middle of a project or in the midst of a game, when you're telling the coach decides, well, this is not working. This is what I want you to do. You know, for athletes, the ability to say, well, that didn't work. I'm going to like switch gears. Like, I, you know, so that hyper responsiveness, again, function of a well-rested brain. When you don't get enough sleep, um, that part of the brain that is responsible for good judgment decision-making, multitasking, you know, high executive functioning tasks, that Mm. gets preferentially impaired 
when you're wow. sleep when you don't get enough sleep and that part of the brain you know and, and actually there's one part of the brain that sort of lights up which is your emotional brain for some reason it becomes overly active and so you know your decision making making definitely gets impaired you're likely to take you know you try to likely to put yourself in risky situations because because your judgment is impaired so that that's one thing the the second thing is that of course learning is really important right so learning you know anything you learn during the day your brain hits the save button while you're asleep but one of the functions of deep sleep is to prune all this unnecessary information that you may take in and keep or retain that information that is really important i mean isn't that like you don't want your mind crowded with unnecessary stuff one of the things you do in executive as an executive is you take in all this information and you come up with these novel solutions i mean you know for example in in the nfl right they they're watching film they're looking at what's happening and then they make decisions based on that well that is creativity that is that only happens while you're in your sleep you know you take this previously stored information you put it together with new information you come up with this novel solution you know not getting enough sleep you make poor decisions you're not likely to you know pick the correct project you know you're you're likely to not um not score the risk value correctly and mm. most of all you know your emotional intelligence gets impaired mm. and i i think that's so important so emotional intelligence is just awareness of your own uh, emotions and the ability to name them and then help manage it and and to have empathy all those things that make you a good leader a good coach you know that's again uh, it's a function of a well rested brain if you don't yeah. if you don't sleep well enough you know you can't really you can't really read that uh, you can't really do that you can't you can't really read other people's emotions if your own emotional functioning is not you know happening correctly and i think what happens is that because one of the first thing that happens is that your judgment is impaired people's awareness of this doesn't exist that is why tools are are good so it's funny because if i give somebody um a tool you know a device and say yes. well i want you to wear this i want you to do this for about 3 weeks and they're like well i'm getting enough sleep and then yeah. you look at the data afterwards and you tell them well not not You're really not. <laughs> no. you really aren't because if you went into if you got into bed at midnight and woke up at 4 in the morning for a board meeting there weren't enough hours so you can't say yeah. you got more than that that sleep right so. right So Mina, uh, you know, we work with a lot of executives and tactical athletes um and healthcare workers and they really you know, their perception is that short sleep I can just remedy it all with some caffeine. Mm-hmm. Does caffeine improve decision making? Like what what's actually happening um with that dynamic? So caffeine is a stimulant. And so to mm-hmm. describe what caffeine does, um uh, we have to talk a little bit about how it works. Mhm. Well, one of the things we know really well is that um the longer you stay awake there is a chem- neurochemical that accumulates in your brain which is like a sleepiness neurochemical it's called adenosine okay. and so the so when it accumulates in your brain you become sleepier and what caffeine does is it goes and it attaches itself to that place in the brain where the adenosine is attached so it blocks the effect of adenosine so it 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 is pretty effective in keeping you awake because 
it blocks the effect of sleepiness. So things like your reaction time, your accuracy do increase. So, you know, if you were playing, if you're playing something, a, a game, uh, if you were, you know, in a sport, it does help in that. The problem is that uh, there are studies that show that it doesn't really affect your judgment. So, so decision making doesn't get much better and so you know you're just making those bad decisions but you're just making them faster because now you're all caffeinated up oh and then gosh. of course that is frightening. Is, it, it, caffeine does make you a little anxious like it make it may make you jittery it mm -hmm. make it may, may make you a little hyper so that's just one thing that um you know that your audience should be aware of yeah you know one last thing i'll tell you is that caffeine uh, of course there is again there's variability some people are fast metabolizers some people are uh, right. you know, slower metabolizers typically the half life is about 4 to 5 hours which means that if you if you drink uh, you know drinking a double uh, an espresso after dinner is doesn't do you any doesn't help your sleep at all and for some people who say well i'm i'm still able to fall asleep even if i drink a cup of coffee what caffeine will do is it will it will prevent you from going into the deeper stages of sleep. So it will still impair the quality of your sleep. So we're going to switch gears a little bit and kind of I'd love for us to kind of tack our way through the reproductive, cardiovascular, metabolic, and mm -hmm. immune systems and kind of what's, what's actually happening on short sleep and, you know, how people can kind of develop a framework on, uh, you know, hopefully it will inspire. I don't want to frighten people, but uh, hopefully it will inspire people to really Absolutely. prioritize sleep and, and, and maybe recognize where, you know, if there are deficiencies, you know, to really encourage people to get some help. You know, I think it's easy to kind of go through life and, um, and, and deprioritize um, right. sleep and, you know, and, and it, it just seems like kind of this luxury, but, um, you know, I'd love for us to kind of make, <laughs> for you to, to really make a case for why it's absolutely central, just because it is really impacting every physiological system and body um, right. Right. and function well, of, um, yeah. And the simplest way to start is that all the things we've been talking about so far is what happens to sleep in the brain. Right. Right. But like, like we just said, every physiological function is affected. So think about, um, think of sleep as a um, nightly reset for your heart, um, yeah. you know, for your reproductive system, for, you know, your stomach, your heart, your lungs, your, you know, every, every, every part of your body is taking a rest. Sleep is, yeah. for example, very impute, important for immunity. And, right. you know, in, in the world we live in right now, you know, your immune function is really, really essential. It's, so getting a good night of sleep is your best, be, uh, is one of your best bets for fighting infection. Um, as long as you, you know, you do the right thing like mask up and, you know, you want to prevent a physical, physically getting in touch with uh, infection. But you know, when you're, it's while you're sleeping that your immune function, you know, your immune cells sort of, you know, there are these really cool cells called natural killer cells. Mm. And, uh, you yes, know, essence. Yeah, they, they get an extra <laughs> night, night of sleep and get well rested and prepare, are prepared the next day. Also, once right. you do get an infection, uh, you need sleep for that that you know to be able to fight that infection so that you it doesn't yeah. progress that that's how it helps immunity I, you know i i just love the interaction of sleep and how it affects meta cardiometabolic health mm. and so you know and i'm going to tell you a story i mean just going to follow along i know that you know in the last 100 years there's been there's been a steady decline in the amount of 
sleep people are getting. And at the same time, there's a steady incline in how they're gaining weight and obesity has is um, is increased. And there, yeah. there were multiple studies done in different populations that looked at the association of obesity and sleep duration. And the magic number was that anybody less than six hours, you know, seven hours or less, and especially six hours or less, more likely to be obese. And then this, this was further studied. Uh, there was uh, Eve Van Couter and her group at the University of Chicago. And they took healthy young adults and they did sleep deprivation studies in which instead of letting them get enough sleep, you know, make sure that they get only four or five or seven hours of sleep uh, over a period of time. And these young, healthy adults at the end of this, this sleep deprivation period, they were not utilizing their uh, glucose. It, it was as if they were diabetic. Of course, this was reversible as soon as they got enough sleep. And they found that when people are sleep deprived, they are hungrier. Uh, they, they tend to consume more calories. And when they consume these calories, these calories tend to be carbohydrate-rich right. fatty foods. I mean, they're not craving fruits and vegetables. Right, right. And, and then, of course, then, then there is this very interesting relationship between with sleep deprivation and what happens to the hormones that control hunger and appetite. And so, you know, your brain, while you're asleep, secretes a hormone called leptin, which is a satiety hormone, tells you that you're full. If you don't sleep enough, well, not going to be secreted, you're hungrier. Your stomach secretes a, um, you know, ghrelin, which makes you hungry. If you don't get enough sleep, you know, you get too much of ghrelin. And, and perhaps, you know, Perhaps when we were hunters and gatherers, if we didn't get enough sleep, it meant you were in danger and you wanted to eat a lot of food so that yeah. you could conserve energy. But of course, you know, now the hunting we do is when we get up to go to our refrigerators to eat. Yeah. So there's that. But, but the other thing, and, and you know, we haven't talked about circadian rhythms as yet, but the other thing is that what they, all the studies found that that impairment in your metabolic control that happens with sleep deprivation is always significantly worsened if you bring in circadian misalignment. Mm -hmm. So if people start sleeping at times which are not their normal uh, sleep time, which happens in say shift workers, mm -hmm. or you know, happens like for example in nurses when they're doing their shift work, then yeah. there is a added um, added uh, impairment in their metabolic control as well as their reproductive health. Right. And, you know, there's some data that shows that if you're, you know, shift workers, there's a high incidence of uh, certain kind of cancers. The yeah. World Health Organization, yeah. you know, yeah. deems shift work a carcinogen, which right, obviously... Right, right, And then yeah. what shift work does is there's sleep deprivation and in association with that, there is that circadian disruption. So I want to just hang on the metabolic functioning and, and just in light of your comments around circadian rhythm. Um, cause I think that the common advice, of course, when people, folks want to lose weight is, you know, eat less and move more. Clearly this is an oversimplification, right? Given everything that you just said about metabolic health and its relationship to sleep, sleep is where you should start. Actually, a lot of folks come on our platform and they check their motivation for, for getting onto whoop is to lose weight. And, um, I think people don't always recognize this really strong relationship between sleep and, mm -hmm. and, um, and weight loss and the ability to lose weight. Um, so I'd love for you to talk, um, you know, um, I know, you know, Dr. Sachin Panda, um, yep. out of the Salk Institute, he's does a ton of work around time restricted feeding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, I think in, in one of his recent 
studies, um, he basically showed that a 10 hour feeding window. So yeah. you basically give your 10 hour, you know, you only eat yeah. during this, you know, your strict eating, you know, in this 10 hour window, you're fasting for the other, um, you know, 14, they saw a three to 4% decrease reduction in weight, yeah. um, body mass index, abdominal fat, waist circumference, and then two of the key risk factors for heart disease, uh, high blood pressure and high cholesterol also decreased. And then blood sugar and insulin levels improved too, which is not surprising. Right. I'd love to get your thoughts on just as, as a clinician, um, you know, are you helping folks kind of establish these feeding windows? Kind of how much does that come into your practice? Well, uh, that, by the way, is a fantastic question. And I'm going to give you a very long-winded answer because I think, I think, <laughs> I think for your audience, I think we should start out by talking about what circadian rhythms are so that they understand you know, exactly where we're going here. So remember how we, all we've, what we've really talked about so far is the sleep quantity. And remember Mm -hmm. I said, there's another thing called sleep timing. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so that leads us to what circadian rhythms are. Now, because we live on this rotating rock, Kristen, you know, our earth, and because we have alternating cycles of light and dark, all organisms, including human beings, we've developed these intrinsic clocks. So these are clock, they're timekeeping clocks and circadian stands for circa, which is um, approximately 24, you know, 24 hours. So for us, for human beings, our, our circadian clock is located in our brain. And it's a, again, it's an t- intrinsic timekeeping system. But in, in, in addition to be intrinsic, it's also on a daily basis, it's reset by exposure to light and dark to wherever you are you know so i'm you know i'm on the east coast in the u.s so when i wake up in the morning light enters my eye so my eye you know i use my eyes for vision to see things and for light perception for my circadian clock and light actually hits my circadian clock before it even hits my visual center and when light hits my circadian clock it starts secreting an alerting signal it keeps me awake during the day and then in darkness, melatonin is secreted in, in, in my brain, and that signals my body that I'm ready for nighttime activity, which for human beings typically should be sleep. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that's, our circadian, that's our circadian clock. And so the clock in our brain is a master clock, but every cell in your body actually has a, has a clock. And every physiological function has a circadian rhythm, which means that during the day it peaks and, and then there's an ebb to it. For example, your body temperature peaks and ebbs. You know, the, the way your, your hormones are secreted, there's a certain time it, it peaks and a certain time it ebbs. And so your circadian rhythms and your hours of wakefulness, which is your sleep drive, they work in concert together to keep you either awake or asleep in the 24-hour period, right? So when we wake up in the morning, our sleep load is really low because we've we've had a good night of sleep. As the number of hours awake accumulates, you get sleepier and sleepier, and then you fall asleep at night. And then, of course, remember how we talked about circadian uh, alertness varying. So you wake up in the morning, your circadian rhythms keep you awake, but then in the mid-afternoon, there's like a slight dip, and then again, you increase. So they, they sort of work in concert. And what so, uh, Dr. P- uh, Panda's lab, what they do, what they found is that, you know, we, as soon as we wake up, our mouths are open, we start eating and we eat all the way till we go to bed. 
and of course we've already established people don't get enough sleep and and the fact that people are sleeping in you know random um, you know their circadian they're not sleeping in alignment or in sync with their circadian rhythms and uh, you know his his data shows that your stomach and your digestive system needs rest too and the only way to do that is to restrict the time that you're eating and um, you know, of course, he's going to give you a lot more detail about that. But yeah, I, I recommend that quite a bit. And it's actually very, very useful, especially when you're traveling. So, oh, you know, yeah. when I'm working with people and I'm working with jet lag, we talked about that circadian clock and that circadian clock, of course, light is the light and darkness are the, are the two major zeitgebers or cues to your circadian clock but the timing of food and the timing of exercise is also important and so if you can if you can strategically decide what time to eat and what time to exercise that can also help shift your clock whenever you're uh, whenever you're traveling so just strategically for our our listeners so basically if they want to create as much synchronization with their circadian mm-hmm. rhythms they want to try to anchor their sleep wake timing yes. their um, regulate their exercise timing potentially, um, their meal timing. So really, kind of find a feeding window that's consistent, um, mm-hmm. and that you know, and that we're staying within that feeding window. And then finally, really how we're exposing ourselves to light. So yes. you know, a lot of light when we want to be alert. Right. No light when we want to be winding Let's down see. and calm. Right. Now, one of the things we did not talk about is chronotype. And that's important because when we talk about sleeping in sync with your sleep cycle, it's important to be aware of it. Perfect. And And, and if we can talk about this in the context of presenteeism, I've actually, you know, heard you talk about, you know, just work schedules and being a night owl versus a morning lark. And yeah, so if you want to kind of dig into that, it'd be amazing. So one of the functions, one of the very important functions of your circadian clock is also um, is something called your chronotype, which is your, it's like a genetic predisposition that people have to be either morning people or night owls. Mm-hmm. You know, people sort of intuitively know whether you're a night owl or you're a morning person or an intermediate. And, you know, there, there, are, there are some really good questionnaires that you can use, clinically validated questionnaires you can use. And, you know, asking people, like, if you had something really important to do, if you could choose whatever time you could do it, what time would you like to do it? And stuff like that sort of help you get, uh, you know, come to know. So the problem, of course, is that the time that we sleep and the time we wake up isn't really only decided, Kristen, by our sleep need or our chronotype. It's also decided by where we live, what kind of work we do, what time we have to show up to work, you know, whether we have kids, do we have to get them to school on time? You know, do we have to be on a phone call speaking to uh, Asia at a certain time? So mm-hmm. all those different things also decided. And because we have all these competing factors, people don't get to bed and don't sleep at the time that they, they want to. And one of right. the things actually that happened during COVID is when there were, when lockdowns happened and people weren't, weren't going to places um, you know, they were sleeping in a, more in alignment to their own circadian clocks. You know, they would yeah. perhaps go to bed late. And, you know, I know that my teenagers were, you know, they would sleep and they didn't have to wake up at an yeah. ungodly hour for them. And, we and, saw this in the group data too. You know, obviously yeah. hundreds of thousands yeah. of folks, right? We were able yeah. to see this. Everyone just kind of yeah. shifted to their preferred biological right. preference. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. And, and I think, I think 
one way for your audience to understand this always also is that the that the clock on the wall you know really when it comes to your sleep you know may not have that much meaning and and, and i like to describe it this way so i'm i'm definitely a morning person i like to go to bed at you know 9 9:30 you know wake up between 4 and 5 for me <laughs> midnight is the middle of the night Truly. in contrast you know my youngest daughter she's a night owl and if if allow left to her own devices would like to go to bed at at um you know between 12:30 and 1 in the morning and sleep in till about nine, you know 8 or 9 for her oh. midnight is not even the beginning of the night yeah just you know i think the way society is set up it obviously gives preferential uh treatment i think to morning larks right you know you're due at work at a certain time and you know that just can be really difficult for a lot of folks you know and and just you know we kind of see night owls um you know tend to be more at risk, you know, for certain diseases. And, um, you know, so it's, it's kind of, I, I just would love to get, get to a place in our, in our world where, you know, we're actually organizing our, our shifts at work and, you know, people are able to, to be more aligned with kind of their natural preferences. And yeah. it just seems almost criminal, right? Given what we know. Let me, let, let me back up here and say that your circadian clock and your chronotype actually profoundly affects your sleep need. What happens is that if you're a night owl, you know you can get into bed at 10 o'clock but you know 10 o'clock for somebody who doesn't fall asleep because they're a night owl till much mm-hmm. later all that's going to do you know if it takes you 2 to 3 hours to actually fall asleep but you still have to wake up at 6 then you're going to get right. you're not going to get your sleep needs right. and the, the 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 reverse is true too so if you're a morning person and that happens with a lot of players because many of the games are at night so evenings are for for players are often very right. chaotic that you know they have a game going on or you know they have other activities that they have to do so they don't even get to bed on time but because they're morning people they tend to wake up early and if that right. happens then you then you're not going to meet your sleep need yeah and i think it, i think to your point earlier you know i th- i think the culture is starting to change you know yes. i think the awareness is is increasing and i think people are starting to recognize that mm-hmm. you know short sleep is is not helping productivity and there's lots of really good data now to actually prove that that's in fact the case that productivity actually declines right. by up to 10% right when you're you know out of sync with your circadian rhythm so yeah hopefully there's change coming you know yeah i was i was going to say that and and that is you know there are there are profound health like we talked about cardiometabolic yeah. health effects of getting less sleep but this is the this is the culture that we live in that we have to talk about productivity to get people to listen you know yeah. sleep is something deeply personal it's 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 deeply restorative it's something that people do in their bedrooms but people you know the only way you can you can get people's attention is if you talk to them of how it affects their productivity the next day perhaps yeah. then they you know they might uh, make an effort to do that and I think it's also a function of age. I mean, I remember as you know, not hating naps and absolutely love them now. Let's actually let's talk about age for a second. We know that, you know, a physiological signature of aging is that your sleep gets worse. Does sleep have to get worse as we age? Um is there anything that we can do to kind of combat this? Right. So so some things naturally do happen. So the amount of deep sleep that you get uh tends to reduce as you get older. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that you know deep sleep you you're more difficult to arouse from deep sleep and my you know my teenage son when he's asleep you can go and you know there could be elephant rampage going on he's not right. going to wake up i 
so jealous <laughs> that doesn't happen with us, right? But so so because your sleep becomes more it easily disrupted, you're likely to wake up. There's other things also as you, as you get older, especially you know after retirement, people may be napping during the day. And then if you nap longer during the day, then you don't build up that sleep drive as much. They may have to get up to go to the bathroom. They may have, yeah. you know, they may, they may have aches and pains. So there, there are other factors that might be contributing to poor sleep. But yeah. poor sleep should not be considered as something that happens with everybody as you get older. If people are having poor sleep and as they're getting older, it's very important to seek help. Because there, there, yeah. you know, there, there's definitely things that can be done to help uh, get their sleep better. Right, right. And then there's, you know, there's of course the obvious stuff in terms of the sleep hygiene, and yes. we talked about the circadian, the anchors, you know, in terms right. of light exposure at the right times and right. meal timing, exercise, and um, oh. sleep wake. And, and perhaps we should take a few minutes. Remember, we didn't talk about that last bit, which is sleep quality. You know, sleep quality is just. You know, it's 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 a little bit difficult to define, but it's basically the ability to fall asleep within a reasonable amount of time and then stay asleep for 80 to 85 percent of the time you're in bed and to wake yeah. up feel, feeling refreshed. And then all these external things that you can do during the day and in your bedroom at night that might help you make sure that you get good quality of sleep. So, you know, things like reducing caffeine intake, not drinking alcohol too close to your bedtime, which can, you know, d- interrupt your sleep or disrupt your, yeah. especially your REM sleep. Yeah. Um, you know, we see that on the group data. Holy yeah. cow. Yes. I mean, yes. Alcohol is just crushing on every level from right. recovery right. to obviously right. the fragmenting sleep. Yeah. Right. And then, or, you know, making sure that the bedroom is cold and dark and quiet or, yep. you know, electronic free. You want to, yep. uh, yeah, uh, you know, keep your bedroom for sleep or sex. That's, those are the only yep. two things you want to be doing in your, yep. in your bedroom. And yeah, yeah, that's, those are all things that you can do for good sleep habits or sleep hygiene. Yeah, that's great. Um, I, you know, I, I wanted to, you know, as we're kind of talking about sleep quality, you know, you, you kind of mentioned behaviors during the day that are really central. Um, one of the things that, you know, seems to really impact the quality of sleep is the degree to which you accumulate stress throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And I've heard you talk about worry time. Yes. And I, you know, I think this might be, you know, I think there's obviously a, a huge connection between sleep and mental health, clearly. Um, right. And, you know, quality sleep is, is, you know, kind of will, will really keep you psychologically healthy, right? Um, to, right. To every, from everything that you've said. So um, talk maybe a little bit about, you know, how to mitigate stress during the day with this kind of worry time strategy you have. Right. Sleep and mental health is a bi-directional relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if you poor sleep worsens mental health, mental health issues are typically associated with poor sleep. And if you yeah. don't improve the sleep, mental health doesn't get better. In fact, this is just recently, I want to say in this last one month, there's this great meta-analysis that came out that showed that improving sleep improved every aspect of mental health. Mm-hmm. They looked at depression, anxiety, et cetera, you know, um, yeah. every substance use, everything got better right. if you improve the quality of your sleep. Yeah. So that's number one. That's, that's really, really important. The second thing I want to... So, Think about what happens at night. So, you know, sleep is like a reset button and it it helps you prepare to face the stresses of the next day. And if you don't sleep very well, you're ill-prepared. And if you don't face the stresses really well, you know, that tends to make you more anxious and that's going to make you sleep poorly. It's like a vicious cycle. Yeah. And the best yeah. way to intervene is to try and improve your sleep. 
So that's the second point. But third, let's come to you know your question. And and what happens is that because we live very busy lives, people are on the go all the time. So sometimes when they get into bed, it's the first time they give themselves an opportunity to kind of think about the day. Yeah. Right. And it's not even consciously they're thinking about it. It's all these like thoughts come crowding in and they're like all stressed out and, and then they're or, or, you know, or I was, I think I was telling you, I just recently was speaking to some a, a head athletic trainer of an NFL team. And he's like, well, you know, he gets home, he does thing, and then he gets into bed and he's like working on his head, on his laptop, turns it off and he's like, well, I have to sleep now. Well, that's not how sleep happens. It's not going to happen. <laughs> right. Yeah. Even an aeroplane when it's about to land, it doesn't just like flop from the ground. It's not like going yeah. full speed and it's like, you know, that's yeah. not. There's a transition. <laughs> yeah. Yes, there is a transition. You know, it decides, it's like circles around, like lowers its altitude, slowly comes down. And you want like a nice, really, really, you know, soft landing. And so think about, about that building in that landing time for your sleep in preparation yeah. of sleep. So it's like building a winding down. So, and the winding down has to be both physical as well as mental in which yeah. you wind down. And, That's a good point. Uh, you know, so uh, perhaps set an alarm. So if you, if you think your bedtime should be 11.30, maybe at 10.45, an alarm right. that tells you, well, it's time to wind down. And yeah. winding down shouldn't... Who actually has that? little yes. recommendation you turn okay. on your notification we will right, tell you right, to wind right. down yep. right you know Get ready maybe a hot bath or a hot shower mm -hmm. some stretching exercises uh, you know spiritual or you know meditation practices um yeah. reading a book or you know something to help you quietly relax and uh, so that sleep can happen allow yep. sleep to happen rather than command it to happen yeah and then of yeah. course you know talking back now circling back to your original question you know taking short regular breaks during the day is really important because otherwise you're going all the time. And, yeah. you know, I'm going to tie two things together. You, you brought up presenteeism, which is, you know, being present and work and spacing out, you know, being on the internet or not being able to focus. That's because, you know, you really can't keep going all the time, all the time. So for every 90 minutes or of, mm -hmm. and, and that again is individual, whatever time it takes, you can do focused work. You do need a few minutes of recovery to happen yeah. so that you can sort of be prepared for the next 90 minutes of, you know, of work right. and uh, perhaps do something quiet and relaxing in the, in the mid afternoon when you know, you shouldn't be, you, you're incapable of that focus work, but also, also build a time earlier in the evening where perhaps you sit down with your iPad or with, you, you know, a piece of paper or, you know, maybe perhaps when you're going, going for a walk, uh, where you you think about or strategize strategize about your next day, you know, think about your worries, think about things that you have to that and that that which allows you time to actually give it some thought, and yeah. so that you've done it earlier during the day. Now, yeah. it is a practice that takes time. So I don't want to, you know I don't want people to think that they're going to do it one day and it's going to be it's going to it. You know, if you've if you've taken years to build bad habits about your sleep, it's going to take you a while to build this this right. habit. I mean, patience is definitely a virtue here. You want yeah. to you you know you want to take your time and just to kind of do it. And um, and I'll tell you another thing. And I I find this when it comes to sleep, I think it's really important. I have to say that I I tell this to every head coach or GM that I work with or a CEO I work with is that. 
the buy-in often comes after you've started the behavior. You can't really, you know, if you start, say, a meditation practice, whenever you start any behavior change, you, you sort of kind of commit to the behavior change. It takes a while. You see results, mm-hmm. that those results happen, you know, cause changes in your belief system and result in a buy-in. And that's when the buy-in happens. The behavior, the practice sometimes precedes the buy-in. Sometimes you really have to do something to build that buy-in. And sleep is is a perfect example of that. Well, you know, you're telling me to go to bed later and then you're going to do this, or you want me to take this 20-minute nap. How am I even supposed to do it? Well, I love that you highlighted just this idea of, you know, short breaks throughout the day to Mm -hmm. basically prevent that stress accumulation. And I I think if people do start there, um, actually, I think see an improvement in their ability to fall asleep at night because they're not – you know, if you think about it from an autonomic nervous system perspective, yeah. when you're kind of hypervigilant throughout the day, you're right. activating the sympathetic branch of the nervous system. And, you know, as a result, you, you know, you're, you're just flooding the system with cortisol, right. adrenaline, epinephrine, and right. And it, it's just like, there's, it's hard to come down from that. Right. But right. there's many moments of break, you know, after a 90 minute focused task will allow you to re-engage your task, I think with the well, level of focus, right. To prevent that presenteeism talking about so let's let's just talk a little bit more about the naps just to give people an an idea you know outdoors is better than indoors Mm. when it comes to those breaks not being on the phone or you know electronic free is is better interacting with other people is better you know that you know walking to the water cooler or taking a short walk outside and interacting with people deciding that's the time you want to call your mother or, you know, is, is if that's a restful activity for you, <laughs> yes, yeah. if that is a restful activity, well, I, you, know, you know, those are the ways that you can sh- build short times. And yep. I, I will tell you that people will say, will give you pushback and say they're going there. They have to go, go, go all the time. And again, I always bring it back to, you know, working longer doesn't equate to working more effectively. Right. And to be effective you have to build in those breaks into your day. Yeah. Our listeners ask a lot about, you know, supplements and, mm-hmm. you know, sleep medications. Number one, are there any sleeping pills that can actually produce a naturalistic sleep? So first of all, I'm, I'm a sleep medicine doctor and oh, I do that's prescribe. Right. That's why you're the perfect person to ask this question. Yes, <laughs> I do prescribe medications and there are people who need sleep medication. So not to give right. all sleep medication a bad rep, but you know, most, in fact, all sleep medications are usually, they're, they're indicated for a short period of time. So right. they're, you know, to help you acutely, really, the, if you are having issues with sleep, the, the long term way of, of dealing with it would be to do something called cognitive behavioral therapy or, right. or for insomnia, CBTI, which is a well studied, you know, well researched uh, yes. branch in which, you know, you help with sleep issues. So, and, and yes, you're right. You know, all sleep, all the sleep medications, which cause sedation, um, they alter the, your sleep stages. So they're not, it's not the same thing as natural, sleep, right. you know, sleeping in the wild, like, you know, sleeping without a pill. I would say if you think you need a sleep pill, you need to see a sleep doctor. 
a lot of our members on the platform um, indicate that they use magnesium and melatonin. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on those two? The thing about, say, for melatonin, which is, you know, right now over the counter, there are a few right. things. So it's it's a normal, natural hormone. It strengthens nighttime physiology, which is sleep for us. Mm-hmm. And first of all, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine does not you know, this is not indicated for chronic people who have chronic insomnia. That is not what it helps mm-hmm. with. With a, you know, it doesn't really help with poor sleep. You know, the the there are correct ways of using it. Say, if you were jet lagged, you're trying to sleep at a different time zone. If you're a night owl, right. you're trying to go to bed earlier, etc. That would be the the reason. Now, I I don't want to give it a bad. You know, it's relatively yeah. safe. But it does have some side effects. Also, sure. because it's over the counter, you really don't know what you're getting. Again, I. I know. And, and and magnesium, like the, the data out there is, you know, it's not compelling. A lot of people use it. Um, sometimes it helps for people who have, you know, if they have like cramping and it might just help them sleep. But again, I, I always say uh, if you feel compelled to take medications or supplements to help you sleep, you want to absolutely explore that you know why are you having poor sleep and i you know you and i discussed this you know you know i may be sleeping poorly because um i have insomnia i truly have insomnia that which is difficulty initiating or maintaining sleep you might be sleeping poorly because it's just not your bedtime you are biologically you're wired to go to bed at at one in the morning and you're trying to fall asleep at 10. Um, You know, another person, um, Matt here might be sleeping poorly because, um, because he's on the, on the phone and playing video games at night. And uh, you know that, and then he's trying to fall asleep. So he's all wound up and um, you know, other people may, may have uh, maybe sleeping with a loud partner who keeps them awake. So unless you explore the exact reason why somebody is sleeping poorly, you really can't really, you know, a medication is not going to treat any of them. You really right. want to find out exactly, which is why, you know, some, wearing a whoop or something, it, that helps yeah. because then yeah. you can look at back at the data, you can try to make correlations of what had happened at that night, whatever. Yeah. And then you can ask better questions. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You just kind of back in, you know, just as a summary, like if we're to look at sleep quality, okay, what are the the, what's the most profound behavior we can grasp onto that will help drive sleep quality? And we'll just kind of go down the list here real quick. Things that you do during the day really mm. profoundly affect yep. your... So there's many breaks. Right. So you want to, during the day, you want to be exposed to bright light. You want to have a schedule. Yep. You know, you yep. want, a schedule is really happen, good because it sort of anchors your day. You want to build yep. in short breaks during the day and you want to build in that worry time. And then yep. leading up to the time that you're going to go to sleep, you want to have that winding down schedule that sort of yep. helps you, that prepares you for sleep. But really three simple things if you do really will profoundly affect the, uh, the quality of your sleep. Number one is to be cognizant of how much caffeine you're drinking and how close yeah. to your bedtime you're drinking that caffeine. Yeah. That really happens. Yeah. That really is really helpful. Number two is alcohol or um, nicotine. So yeah. alcohol and nicotine, they're both going to in- disrupt your sleep at night. If you drink it too close to your bedtime or you, you know, if you're chewing tobacco or smoking right before your bedtime, it's going to impair the quality of your sleep. And number, th- yeah. number three is light exposure. And I yes. cannot tell you how important it is because yes. it's really, it's, it's, you know, it's the interactiveness, it's playing video games, you you know, yes. and of course with the teams I work with, you know, if there's a, there's a players playing 
on video games at night, they're playing with other players. So they're not only yeah. keeping themselves away, they're keeping other people, <laughs> other players. Yeah. Away. yeah. You know, or reaching to your phone in the middle of the night to check the phone and then like going yeah. down that rabbit hole of like going on to social yeah. media. You know, those three simple things, if you can please yeah. start there, I think that you yeah. that your sleep will be better. Yeah. And just to double click on the light piece, um, there's some literature out there that, that basically says, you know, any light exposure between, and please correct me if, if this mm-hmm. is um, not accurate, but any light exposure between 11 p.m. and 4 a.m., you actually uh, blunt or mute the release of serotonin next day. Yeah. You know, you have to just be mindful of how much yeah. light is being exposed, what you're doing with that light. Yeah, that's that's how I would put it. You know, and a lot of what you mentioned about quality, I think, applies to consistency. So and your ability to actually fall asleep at your preferred time is very much dictated by the morning light you're getting. Right. right. And, and I don't know, you know how much time we have, but that is kind of an important thing. Consistency yeah, is important because what people do is, you know, during the weekday, because they have to, their sleep time is dictated by their work. So they may go right. to bed at a certain time and wake up. And then on the weekend, because now they don't have to be anywhere, they go to bed like four hours later and then sleep in for another, you know, till about noon. And, and if you do that on a regular basis, that inconsistency itself has significant cardiometabolic effects. And so you, yeah. wanna, you want to try to be consistent. You know, you, your wake-up time really shouldn't, be, shouldn't vary by more than an hour or so. So is there anything that you feel like we kind of missed mm-hmm. that you're like dying to kind of tell our listeners about? I would say that everything improves if you improve sleep. There is not a single thing that doesn't improve with better sleep. It really, yeah. really doesn't. You know, your relationships, the way that yeah. you function, your interaction with your children, with, you know, yeah. other people, the way that you're exercising, the way that you're metabolizing whatever you're taking in. Like, there is nothing that does not improve with better sleep. Well, that seems like a really good place to end. The doctor saying, where can folks find you and and the work that you do so um i do have a website metasingmd.com and then i i yes i do i'm on linkedin i'm on uh twitter and i'm on instagram and yes if you can just link those i think like twitter is kind of amazing the like all the sleep people that you can interact <laughs> with i think linkedin I is kind of amazing too oh it's amazing i love following your yes. work on linkedin yeah oh, thank it's... you and and as as i do yours so um yeah yeah those that. are the ways to get in touch with me Thank you. Well, Dr. Singh, it's been such a pleasure. You are just a treasure trove of insight and wisdom. And um, I, I know our listeners are going to really appreciate the, the level of depth that you provided here today. And um, and just thank you for all your good work. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. Thank And thank you for giving me a platform. Thank you to Dr. Singh for coming on the WHOOP podcast. If you enjoyed this episode of the WHOOP podcast, please be sure to leave us a rating or review. Don't forget to subscribe to the WHOOP podcast. You can check us out on social at WHOOP at Will Ahmed. And don't forget you get 15% off a WHOOP membership if you use the code WILL, W-I-L-L. Okay, folks, that's it for now. We'll be back next week. Stay healthy, stay in the green.